and I was supposed to be here next week, um, but uh, we, we rearranged some things, um, and uh, I'm really glad to be here this week. And um, I just want to honor, um, you know, I actually go back with, with Pastor Paul and Kathy about 20 years, which is crazy. I don't even know that they were pastoring here at the time. I don't know. Um, that, at that time, they weren't, right? Uh, so I met them uh, when Paul was a, a chaplain at, at, uh, at Cardone uh, Industries and um, got connected with him through that. And that was, that was a little over 20 years ago now. Um, and we got to, to partner on some things uh, then that were citywide initiatives, prayer initiatives, opportunities to uh, pray over the city. And, um, and then um, over, I think it was probably about 10 years ago, I met Pastor Terry and Pam, and, uh, and we, we did one of our conferences at their church. And uh, we have been, uh, again, citywide partners in, in all of, uh, of that for, for now, you know, 10 years or so. And, um, and it's just some amazing things. So I want to say that uh, I, I have a deep love and a deep honor for both uh, Pastor Paul and Kathy and uh, Pastor Pam and Terry. Um, love those guys deeply, friends for long, long times, decades. Um, and so uh, it's an honor to be standing here sharing with you guys this morning. And um, I really felt like uh, the, the Lord uh, just gave me a picture that I want to share just prophetically for the, for the church before I kind of dive into the, to the main message. But I felt like the Lord gave me a picture this morning of this congregation, and I saw it like a garden. And I believe that, you know, you, you know gardens have seasons, and they have ebbs, and they have flows, and they have times where you're, where you're planting, and you have times when you're, when you're harvesting, Right? And um, I saw this, obviously, I think, you know, with all the transition and everything, this is a planting season. And this is a time of, of cultivating and growing. And so I actually saw this picture of, uh, of the, the congregation, but I saw it like this garden, and I saw just, what I just saw was a lot of really good soil. You know, see, I, I, I know that, that from... Uh, because I know your leaders, I know that there's good soil here, right? And the thing about good soil is sometimes you have to just trust that something's good soil even before you're seeing the fullness of the harvest that you want to see. Amen? And so what I saw was good soil. I saw the, the good soil of this ground, and I had this sense in the Spirit that that there were a lot of things that had been seeded into the soil for this next season already, but they were not yet breaking forth and bearing the fruit that everybody likes to see, right? But see, here's the thing. We trust that there's good soil. We trust that there's seeds that are being sown. And when a seed is sown, a seed carries all the DNA of the big plant, in other words, you can get a, 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 whatever the biggest tree is, a redwood or whatever, and it's going to come down to a seed. And a seed is very small, but you're going to find a seed will be able to take all of the DNA, all of the characteristics of what something is going to become, and it's in this very tiny little package. And if you can get the seed right, then the rest of it's going to grow up right. But if you don't get the seed right, then you have some trouble, right? And so I felt like the Lord was just saying this. He's saying this is good soil and good seed is being planted right now. And I felt like he said Galatians 6, 9, right? If you will not grow weary in well-doing, you will reap a harvest. Amen? Those who sow according to the Spirit will reap according to the Spirit. So, and then I, the last thing I saw, and I'm just sharing this prophetically as a picture, and you guys can pray into this, but the last thing I saw was I saw the enemy come, and the enemy saw that it was good soil. Now, when the enemy comes and sees it's good soil, you know, he's thinking some different thoughts than we are, right? <laughs> 
But here's the thing. In Matthew 13, it says this. An enemy came and sowed tares in with the wheat. How many of you remember that scripture, right? So the enemy will find good soil. And do you know that tares can thrive in good soil? And so, you know, there's, there's an issue sometimes that good soil attracts some interesting things. Because the enemy knows sometimes he can throw something in and, and it can whole, create a whole situation, right? But this is what I saw. I saw the, the, it was like the arm of the Lord just moved him right out of the way. And it was like this, they had like this like almost like he peered into the garden and the Lord went, nope. And so I just want to pray that over you today. Um, and especially that as you're in this season of transition and, and, and newness and, and all that's going on here, especially that those with wrong motivations and those with different perspectives and different focus than what the Lord has for this body, that the, that the Lord would just restrain anything that needs to be restrained. Can we agree on that? Amen. So let's just pray that real quick because I just want to release that prophetic picture and pray that over us. So, Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this body that has been good soil, not just now, but for many, many, many years. And, Father, I bless this body. I bless this fellowship of believers. And, Lord, today I thank you that you are establishing your new thing in them. And, Lord, I thank you that this good soil is receiving new seed, good seed, Lord, that will bring them into a new season of greater fruitfulness than they've ever seen before. So, Father, I thank you that weariness would not settle in, but, Lord, we speak strength to each one in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you even as we sang this morning, you're bringing us alive. You're causing us to come alive again. Lord, I thank you for awakening what has become uh, uh, dormant, what has become apathetic. Lord, for shaking out of slumber and shaking out of complacency and weariness today. And we declare strength over this house in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you today that the restraining arm of the Lord is working for this place. Lord, we thank you today that you are our defender you are our keeper. You are our advocate. You are our shield. Father, we declare today that you are protecting this house from even uh, agendas that would be other than your own. And so, Father, I thank you for that. And I just thank you for the blood that covers this place. And we say, Lord, we, we thank you that even as the enemy comes, Lord, there's a standard that's raised up against him. And so, Father, I bless you today for what you're doing in Jesus' name. And I thank you for this house and all that it's going to walk into in the next season. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. So, um, I just want to share that. Now, let's dive in to our, uh, the, the main message here. Uh, and I want to talk about this morning. I know you guys have been on a, a series about the voice of the Lord. And I love talking about that. I love sharing about things like that. Um, for me, my, my passion, my gifting, uh, I have these two uh, conflicting natures within me. Uh, I am a walking contradiction. I'm like, on one hand, I'm like this prophetic. I love all the, all the and you're like prophetic, prophetic people. You say stuff, and people are like, what does that mean? And you're like, I don't know. That's why it's prophecy. I don't know. Uh, you know, if I knew what it meant, it would be called teaching. And that's the other side of what I love to do. I love to teach. I love to break things down and get down on the, on the granular level. So, um, you know, I, I, I love hearing the voice of God because there's mysteries that are unlocked in that. But there's also some very basic things where we can learn how to hear God's voice. And I'm sure that you've probably heard some amazing uh, messages on this already. But what I really felt the Lord say today is something that I believe is a timely word in, in this sense. And, and I'm going to share this just for a minute, and I'll circle back to this at the end. But um, over the last couple of years, um, our, our ministry, Philadelphia Tabernacle of David, 
we have um, made a, an effort to, to try to track with the, what I would call the biblical calendar. Um, now, I want to be very clear. N- no one has to do this. There's people out there who teach it like it's legalistic. You've got to do this or you've got to do that. Uh, but for us, we've just found it very life-giving to kind of plug in a little bit to what kinds of things are happening biblically at what time of the year. So, you know, while we often celebrate uh, Easter and things like that, Resurrection Sunday, you know, I I also try to be mindful of something like Passover, uh, which is, you know, Jesus coming as the Lamb of God is the fulfillment of Passover. And so understanding a little bit of the first Passover and sort of some of the traditions around that can really be enriching. And so it's, it's a powerful thing. But one of the things that God does is he gave the Jewish people feasts every year. He gave them three main feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. But then from month to month, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to celebrate at the time of the new moon. The new moon is when there's just a little sliver. That's the new moon. It's when it goes from like nothing to the new moon, right? And, um, you know, so there's a calendar that God has uh, that he told his people to celebrate. And again, this is not something we have to do. It's something that I I have found value in personally. Um, But so what we find out is that different things happen at different times of the year. And you can trace some of the things that happen biblically to certain times of the year. Now, we're in a Hebrew month called Av. And it sounds a little bit like Ab or Abba. Now, you probably know the term Abba, right? It means father. So we're in a month that's literally about the father. And so as we've been in this month, and we're kind of in the first third of the month or so, we've been, we've been uh, pondering and and meditating on certain things, and one of the things that we've been pondering and meditating on, I want to just share a little bit about this morning, all right? Does that make sense? And I'll loop back to some of why I shared some of that at the end, but let's, um, let's start here. Can we go to uh, Mark 14? Do we have the scriptures ready, maybe? There we go. Mark 14. Now, here's, here's, here's the simple question that I want to ask you in this message today. And what I'm going to share is going to be examples of some who got it right, some who got it wrong. I can share multiple times of examples. I got it wrong. I'm going to share some of the ones where I got it right because I don't feel like humiliating myself today. All right, that was a joke. Never mind. All right. Tough crowd. Okay. Um, here's the question, and as we go to the Scriptures, here's what I want you to think. What is it that you've subconsciously told God He doesn't have permission to say to you? What is it that you've subconsciously, means you're not thinking that you're doing this, what is it that you've subconsciously told God He doesn't have permission to say to you? Or let me put it another way. What is it That if God said to you, talking about hearing the voice of God, if God said it to you, you would not have ears to hear because it would be so far off your grid that you wouldn't even know it was God. See, one of my prayers (laughs) all the time is, Lord, help me to hear the things you're trying to say that I don't have ears to hear. Give me ears to hear. See, when I come into a church and I'm asking God, tell me something to, that I can, I can encourage the church with, that's one setting. But there's settings where we don't even realize God's trying to speak to us. And there's situations where we don't even know God's trying to speak to us. So let's look at these scriptures and we'll break this down a little bit. Um, it says, And being at Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. 
But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And so, I think, um, I think we, we decided on a, a, a title for this message, right? Um, <laughs> Brittany asked me this, she's like, how, how about a title? I'm like, I don't usually go with titles, but how about this? How about hearing the invitation of the Father? There, there, there are many things in our everyday lives that God will speak to us about. And even as we begin to develop a sensitivity to His voice, we have to be aware that there are certain things that are outside of our paradigm for what God will say to us. And in this situation, Mark 14, now let me, let, can I give a teacher disclaimer for a minute? I'm going to anyway, so I, I'm, I don't know why I'm asking your permission, but I'm just going to say this. Now, let me say, this story, Mark 14, John chapter 12, it's the same, same story, uh, Matthew 26, same story, and then there's another story in Luke chapter 7, and that one I'm being super nerdy right now, all right? So if you don't understand this, that's all right. But if you do understand this, you, well, it's okay, all right? So, so in that story is probably a different situation, all right? Um, but for the sake of application, in other words, it's probably telling a different scenario rather than what the other three Gospels are talking about. So Luke 7 is probably different. I just want to let you know that I'm aware of that. <laughs> and, but here's what I want to say. For sake of application, the principles are the same, all right? So I'm going to just maybe reference in the Luke 7 story just a little bit, um, even though it might be a little bit different, but it's very similar. A woman comes, anoints the feet of Jesus. And in that case, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the religious system, gets all bent out of shape about what she does. So we'll, we'll just, just so you know, we'll use some of those interchangeably, but... In this story, there is a woman who takes a oil that we learn in, in some of the other scriptures were, was about a year's wages. I don't know what the average year's wage is, probably $40,000, $50,000 now, like in America. I don't know what the, what the average is. I don't know, maybe less than that, something. I don't know. It used to be thirty. Now I think it's higher than that. Imagine you've got a jar of oil that's $40,000. And God says to you, go take that and pour it all over this person. Now, how many of you realize you would be saying, get thee behind me, Satan? <laughs> that's $40,000. Like, we could, we could sell that and, and, and give, you know, we could, we could help build the new whatever for the church and replace the roof and the whatever. Like, think of all we could do with that, right? I mean, actually, 40000 probably wouldn't replace the roof, but whatever. It's okay. <laughs> More than that, unfortunately. There was a woman who had the ability to hear God say, I want you to do something extravagant. I want you to do something that's not going to make sense, probably to you, and definitely not to anybody else around you, but I still want you to do it. Now, this woman does this, and nobody gets it, except the one person that she has to please. And that's Jesus. And Jesus says, 
you could stop talking about her right now. As a matter of fact, not only are you going to stop talking about her bad, but anywhere this gospel is preached, we're going to talk about her good. And this woman, literally, through her obedience, through what she does in this moment, she literally shifts the course of history for her. And it says, everywhere that this gospel is preached, this will be told what she's done for me. No one else in the entire scriptures anointed Jesus for his burial before he died. And it made no sense. It was extravagant to most that were there. It was completely wasteful. And yet the whisper of the Holy Spirit in her compelled her to do something. That Jesus said, this will be remembered as, as far as the gospel is preached. Now my question for us today is, what are the things, if God said to do it, you wouldn't even have a paradigm to do it. And hearing God's voice, we always start in the simple things, right? We start with the day-to-day. -day. We start with the little nudges of the Holy Spirit that, that says, you know what, you ought to be a little bit nicer to your, to your spouse. You don't have to be that way. Or, or you, you, ought to, you ought to show a little more grace to your coworker. Right, we could start with those little, like, those little things where we're like, yeah, I know that's the Lord, right? Come on. Yeah. We don't always want to listen to that either, but at least that's, a, that's, a, that's an easier one, right? But then there's times as we grow and we mature in hearing God's voice that he's going to call us into things that are absolutely head scratchers. And my prayer for me and for all of us is, Lord, help us to have the grace to be able to hear what you're calling us into, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it seems impossible. So I want to just share a couple of stories from my life, and we'll look at a few more scriptures. But one of the, the things that really transformed me um, in, in my personal walk with the Lord was um, when I was in the business world. Now, being in the business world helped me realize that I was called to ministry. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I don't like this. I'm not real good at it. I feel like I'm swimming with sharks. That's how I felt. I got into real estate in 2005. And 2005, 2006, 2007 were great. If you were in real estate, you know 2008 was not a great time. When the whole housing bubble thing deal happened and all this kind of stuff went crazy and, and um, people that you thought were your friends, you found out they didn't really care about you. And they would stab you in the back if they could make a buck doing it. Come on, I'm just being honest. This is, that was my experience at that time in real estate. Maybe I just didn't know the right people, but I'm just telling you. And so what went from, you know, kind of a, a, a good experience turned into a very difficult experience. And one of the things I had to learn was I had to stop operating in what I would call an orphan mentality or an orphan spirit. An orphan mentality or an orphan spirit is one where you either don't realize or maybe you know intellectually, but you don't act like it. You think that there's no one there looking out for you. So you got to do it yourself. If I don't look out for me, after all, who will? Come on. All right, none of you have ever been there? All right, wow. Okay. It's quiet. Is this a Presbyterian church? I'm just checking. <laughs> I pick on the Presbyterians. I'm just teasing. But they are notoriously quiet. That's all I'm saying. I mean, in a holy way, a holy hush. But 
See, if you know that you have a father who's looking out for you, and you say, you know what? I don't have to do this myself. And I certainly don't have to compromise who Jesus has called me to be in order to defend myself or to do something, right? So I'm not going to get all angry. I'm not going to get all worked up. I'm not going to shout at you. I'm not going to get down on your level and roll around in the mud. Am I, are you following me? And so I had to really learn, and, and I learned in the business world more than I learned anywhere else in the, in the, in the darkness of the 2008 housing market. I learned how to be a son. I learned how to think like a son. And I haven't, I, listen, none of us have arrived. I still got ways to go, which is why I say to the Lord, Lord, show me what I can't see. But in that moment, I had uh, a broker, a real estate broker I was working for who I was trying to sell my business um, I had a, a property management business, and I was trying to sell it to another broker. And I had brought all of the clients to the table. This, my broker didn't do any of it. It wasn't his work. It was my work. And, but technically, the way the real estate laws are written, unless he released me to sell my business, I couldn't do that. Now, what most ethical people do, and at probably a better time in the real estate market, they just say, hey, go ahead, sell your business Congratulations, see you later, thanks, it's been good. We had a good relationship, all the rest. But what this guy said is, is no, I, I, want, I want a portion of the sale of your business. And um, he wanted a third of the portion of the sale of my business. I said, you didn't do any of this, man, you know? And so what I did was I started contending in my flesh, in my own way, right? jockeying for position, and then you come to a place where you realize, wait a minute, I don't have any leverage. <laughs> like, you realize in the natural, I have no leverage. And so I went and I said to the person who was going to buy the business, I said, look, here's the situation. I don't, I don't know what to do. And they said, well, if you want, we'll cut him a check for that portion. I said, I don't want. <laughs> I said, I don't want to do that. So I went back to my broker, the one who was holding on to all this stuff, and I said, listen, I'll give you half of what you want. And that's me being generous, because you don't deserve any of this. And he said, uh, no, you'll give me what I'm asking for. So I'm asking the Lord about this. I'm praying. Actually, I'm probably complaining. And in the midst of that, I could hear the voice of God. And the voice of God said, give him what he wants. And I said, you lying devil. <laughs> See, sometimes God's going to speak way out of our box. And he said, give him what he wants. And I said, Lord, he didn't do it. Like, I'm, I'm now, now I'm arguing with God. I said, Lord, he didn't do any of this stuff. This is mine. This is, you know, this is we're selling this business, so I need what I can get from it to, you know, it's, it's our, my family's future, you know. And the Lord said this to me because he was already teaching me about being a son. Already had me studying in the Sermon on the Mount where it says, if someone asked you to go one mile with them, go two miles. Y'all know that wasn't just a, a nice idea that Jesus said. That was an actual real thing where the Romans were, were able to ask someone to carry their stuff one mile legally and not more than that. And Jesus said, if these people you hate, that you despise, that are occupying your country, if they ask you to carry their stuff one mile, go two miles with them. He said, Lord, speaking to me about that. And here, this guy, I said I'd give him half. He wants double. <laughs> the Lord's like, this is your two miles. Give him what he wants. And I said, Lord, that's not right. That's not fair. And the Lord said this. He said, 
Do you want money or do you want to be a son? Well, well, well. <laughs> he had me on that one. <laughs> that was the end of the argument. How many of you know God can really end an argument? He can be like, boop, and you're like, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm just done, right? And so the Lord said, do you want to be, do you want money or do you want to be a son? And I said, Lord, with all my heart, I want to be a son. And so I spoke to the people who were supposed to buy my business. I said, listen, it pains me to even ask you this, but can, would you write this check with his name on it? I took that check into the office. I put the check on the table. I said, now listen, this is yours if you just sign off and release me. And he refused to do it. And the Lord said, okay, you were obedient. Now let me show you how to do it where you can get your whole business over and sold to this other company without having to work through him. And that's what happened. And the Lord gave me a strategy. He gave me a picture. And I was able to sell my business for the full price and circumvent all that. Listen, if you will be extravagant, and I'm telling you, the amount of money that this guy wanted for me, especially at that time, that was extravagant. The Lord said, you are willing to give that not to him. You are willing to give that not to him, but because I asked you to do it. Maybe that was my alabaster bo box in that moment. To say, Lord, for you, I'll do this. And the Lord said, now let me bless you for it. See, but if we don't have ears to hear how God is speaking to us in ways that are outside of the box of what we normally think. And so this woman gives this gift to Jesus and even the disciples are saying, well, I don't think she should have done that. People who walked and talked with Jesus for probably close to three years at this point, this is shortly before his death, they're all saying, yeah, I don't think that was the right move, sis. Come on. Listen. And, it, and there's a part of me that wants to balance this word out because, you know, that's the right thing to do. But there's a part of me that says, we, we got way too much balance, right? See, like, sometimes God's going to tell you to do something, and it's not going to make sense even to the people around you who love you and who are believers. And they might mean well, but it's not going to make any sense to them. Now, hear me. Listen. We don't just go off random cavalier on our own, you know, right? Get counsel. Hear what people around you are saying. You know what I'm saying? That's the balancing part. But sometimes we're too balanced. Sometimes we're all living at a level of mediocrity. Uh-oh. <laughs> what if we were all living at a level of radical obedience? I think that's how the, the early church operated. They're like, I just sold everything I have. Here it is. And hear me, this isn't just about money. But man, money... Money is where a lot of our hearts are stuck. <laughs> you got quiet again. So let's look at the second scripture, Mark 10. Here's the opposite. Here's the other side of the coin. Now as he was going out, Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Can you imagine? Jesus is walking away. This guy comes down, kneels down, says, I'm begging you. Tell me, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Come on, this guy's earnest, right? It says, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. And that's a whole other 
thing, but this is kind of a rhetorical question, but it says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and he said, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. <laughs> but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's my noon alarm that reminds me to pray for Philadelphia. So thank you, Lord. We bless Philadelphia today. This is the other side of the coin. This is a man who was earnest to hear. Lord, I'm begging you. Tell me what I need to do. And Jesus says some things to him that he's trying to get him to a place, right? He's trying to open him up to being able to deliver a truth to him that he knows is going to be hard. He knows it's going to be hard for this man to hear. And he says, well, you know all the religious stuff, right? You know all the, all the rules, right? He says, you know the don't commit it. Not. These are good rules. You know, we're not, nothing against the rules. I think it's a good idea for us to not murder. <laughs> okay. So, so he, he's saying to this man, this is what you need to do. And he says, yeah, but I've done all that. And Jesus speaks to him in that place that was hard for him to hear. And he says, sell everything you've got. Take up the cross and follow me. Give away everything you've got. Embrace reproach. Embrace scorn and follow me. And this man who was earnest one moment is turned away sad the next because he could hear what God said, but then he couldn't walk out what God asked him to walk out. And instead of the Bible recording a story like it does with the woman who breaks open the alabaster jar and Jesus says, we're going to honor this woman everywhere she goes, we're reading about him as the guy who missed out on an opportunity to follow in Jesus' footsteps. See, the voice of God, even in those places where it's hard to hear him, is always an invitation into something that God has for you that is beyond what you could comprehend. If we believe that he is good and there's no one good except God, then we believe that his ways are good, his plans are good, and whatever he's calling us into, it's going to be good. Even if you have to give away a lot of money. I said, Lord, I don't know what it's going to look like to give away all that money to this guy, but I'm just going to trust that you're good. I'm going to trust that you're my father. I'm going to trust that you don't let a sparrow fall to the ground without your eyes seeing, I, I'm going to trust you see me. Come on. And so, this guy has the same opportunity. Jesus speaks to him in a place that was so hard for him to hear. And I don't know what these places are for you. Listen, it might be the Lord saying to you, you need to quit your job and do X. You need to, you need to go back to school. You need to drop out of school. I don't know. And certainly, again, you know, don't do these things randomly, right? Pray about it. Ask the Lord. Like, but but my, my challenge to us today is if we could be a church, I'm not talking about just High Street Worship Center. I'm talking about if we could in this region and in the United States, if we could be a church of radical obedience, 
that said, Lord, whatever you want to say to us, we remove the boundaries, we remove the hindrances, we remove all the stuff so that we can hear what you want to say to us, even if it offends some of what we think is sensible. And we say, we don't, we're not worried about what makes sense, we're not worried about what, what seems this way or that way, we're worried about what you're saying, Lord. We've got one person that we're worried about pleasing. It's you. And I'm telling you, this woman comes with an alabaster jar, and she anoints Jesus' feet, and a fragrance fills the house, and it begins to disrupt the religious system of the day. It begins to disrupt the things that these Pharisees, like in Luke 7, right? I told you I'd mesh this in a little bit. But we know there were Pharisees there. And we know that they're looking at a woman anointing Jesus' feet and going, what is the deal with this? And Jesus is allowing this act of radical obedience and radical worship based on the voice of the Lord to disrupt an entire religious system. What if you and I could be those who would be catalysts of one or two extravagant acts of obedience that could disrupt the entire religious system that the church is often under. Oh, come on. Come on, we're stuck in, many times, an American Christianity that's super comfortable, super, listen, we're, we're trapped in something that says, I, you know, don't get too crazy with it. You know, after all, keep this, keep that, keep, you know, you got to have this, you got to have that. What if God's saying, listen, empty out your savings account for me? I'm just asking. Because everything around you will tell you, don't do that. I'm not taking an offering today, so don't worry. And I'm telling you, it goes beyond money. It's not just about money. There's a lot more to it. But there's so much that God's calling us into, and he's saying, will you, be, will you have ears to hear me? Listen, for me, in 2012, after four years of ministry school in the business world, Hearing God's voice in the business world. 2012, the Lord said, will you cold turkey stop what you're doing as a day job and will you jump into full-time missionary work? To this day, I, 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 now, I now am actually a I have a part-time position with my church across the bridge in, in, in Bristol. But to this day, the majority of the income I get to support my family comes as a missionary. It's not a, you know, I, I don't know always what's coming in. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Lord said, will you leave your real estate stuff? I had sold my business, but I was still working in the real estate industry, still working in the business, but thank God somebody else was taking care of it. I don't know if you've ever tried a property management business. I don't recommend it, especially not in Philadelphia. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Let somebody else do that. The Lord said, will you leave all of this and I could have transitioned out of it. I could have gradually rolled back some of my real estate hours. The Lord said that you could, but I don't want you to do it that way. How many, come on. For so many people, that would be almost impossible for them to hear the Lord say now. Because it would be so awful. How am I going to live? How am I going to live? How am I going to, right? And the Lord said, I want you to cold turkey stop this and start doing ministry. And so my brother and I actually made that leap at the same time, both of us. At the time, we had six children between us. Completely left our day jobs, if you will. And, you know, when you do that, or when you're thinking about doing that, you want to get godly counsel. 
And so I thought, you know, I don't know. This sounds crazy. I don't even really want to do it, to be honest. Like, I'd, I'd much rather do it another way. I called a guy who's one of the most conservative-type guys. I thought if there's anybody who I trust their counsel, but if, if there's anyone who will tell me no, it's probably him. I said to my brother, I said, let's call him. Let's call Kevin. We'll call Kevin. Kevin will tell us no. So we called Kevin. And we said, Kevin, here's the deal, buddy. We kind of feel like the Lord's calling us to do this, but we have six kids and, and, and wives, all that. And Kevin, to my horror, says, oh, God's in the details. Go for it. I mean, like that. Like he didn't think, he didn't pray, he didn't qualify. He said, oh, go for it, absolutely. I thought, Kevin, you have let me down. See, for me, that was another moment where God was testing my heart. And I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to be honest with you, it's not really ever been a real easy road since then. It's always a faith walk. But here's what I do know. I do know that I said yes to what God wanted me to say yes to. And the Lord said this to me at that moment. He said, listen, if you say no to this, I will bless you. I will still bless you. You'll have a good, you'll have a good life. He said, but you will miss out on the opportunity of what I want you to walk in. And do you trust me? that that is even better than the path you would carve for yourself that I would bless. Come on. See, he's calling us into something deep. There's an invitation from the Father today. And so I want to just bring it back to what I shared Earlier, we're in this month called Av. And this month of Av, just bear with me for a minute as I explain a few things, but I just, I believe it's very important for us. This month of Av, one of the things that happened in this month of Av, biblically, is that Moses sent spies into the promised land. And we probably know the story, right? We, we, we know, and I, I'm not going to take the time to read it right now just because we're running out of time. But you know the story. It's in Numbers 13 if you want to read it. But Moses sends the spies into the land, and the spies are there for 40 days, and they all observe the same things. Is it true? All of them observe giants in the land. All of them observed a cluster of grapes that two men had to carry on a pole between them. Think about that for a minute. They all observed the fruit. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But there's giants. And when they came back, none of them told things that weren't true about the land. Those ten spies told the truth about the land, did they not? There's giants in the land, guys. We were like grasshoppers before them. Is that true? It sure is. What was different between the ten spies and the two spies is that the two spies said, God has said, we can take this land, and we are well able to do so. The ten spies said, yeah, I don't think so. And so, tradition says, in, in Jewish tradition, that on the ninth of Av, the ninth of this month that we're in, the Jewish people decided to listen to the ten spies. 
and decided not to go into the land. And throughout history, you can trace it and you can chalk it up to whatever you want to chalk it up to, but you can look at history and you will find over and over again horrible, tragic things happening to the Israelites in, on the ninth of Av, including the destruction of the first temple and the second temple. It's considered one of the, the, the most solemn and, and mournful days in, on all the Jewish calendar. And we're in that moment, and we're in a moment where because they failed to hear the invitation of the Father, they didn't walk into their purpose, and tragedy overtook them. And so, I want to be clear, I'm not here today saying tragedy is going to overtake you. But I am saying that there's an invitation of the Father. And I am telling you this, and, 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 and if this is sobering to you, then, then let it be sobering. But we are living in days, please hear me, we are living in days where it is increasingly dangerous to not hear the voice of God. I, that's, not, that's not because God's going to judge you. That's because how are we going to live in this crazy world without hearing His voice? That's what I'm saying. This isn't about God hates you and he wants, he's going to get you. That's not God at all. It is about the fact that there is an enemy who's seeking to devour us. And if we can hear his voice, even in the extravagant things, even in the, what? God, did you just say that? If we can hear even those words that God has over us, it's going to be really the only place of safety in these days ahead. Believe me, I went through a situation about a year ago where I was in a bit of a crisis, not anything life-threatening, but I would call it a crisis in another manner. And I heard God's voice, and I panicked, and I didn't do the right thing. And I lost out big time on a personal level. And I was like stinging from that because that was hard. Real hard. And the Lord said, what you've lost in this moment is really nothing compared to what it might look like to not hear my voice or to hear my voice and not respond rightly in other situations. And he said, I love you enough to help teach you and help train you in this. And let me tell you, it was a hard lesson. But I do trust the goodness of my Father. That really the earthly things are just earthly things. And what we're living for is far beyond that. Amen? So we're in a moment where we're going to either believe the word of the Lord to enter into our promised land, or we're going to have to turn back. And... Ten were saying no, and only two were saying yes. And they had faith enough to believe it. Now listen, I want to just very quickly say this. There's a difference between a lack of faith and unbelief. Unbelief is really something totally different than a lack of faith. I learned about this from a, a, an incredible teacher named Alan Vincent. Alan was a guy who didn't really believe in miracles early in his life, but he was in ministry, and a woman had gotten a tumor somewhere that caused her to actually grow again in her, her older age, not old, old, old age, but where you shouldn't be growing anymore. I think she was like in her 50s or something like that. And so all of a sudden, she started growing again because she got this cancerous tumor. She was outgrowing her clothes, outgrowing her shoes. She had all these clothes and shoes that didn't fit her anymore. And she said, will you just come over and please pray for me? And he thought, I'll pray for you. I don't know what's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. He didn't believe in miracles. And he went and he put his hands on this woman just to oblige her. And as he prays for her, he feels the woman shrink right there. Can you imagine this? It's a true story. Has his hands on her, feels her shrink, 
She goes, gets her old clothes, her old shoes, it all fits. God heals her instantly and immediately, and Alan said, I don't believe it. That's true. Now, the Lord changed his heart drastically <laughs> in, in years to come, and he became an incredible apostolic leader. But that's unbelief, y'all. That's what the Pharisees were in when they would watch Jesus do miracles, and they would still say, eh, I don't know about this guy. You see what I'm saying? So you all probably aren't in that place, right? Unbelief is when you close the door and say, God, you can't do that. You won't do that. I know you won't. And that's the end of the story. That's different than, Lord, help my lack of faith. I believe, help my unbelief. It says unbelief. It's really lack of faith is what it's talking about there, right? That's where you say, God, I know you can do this. I just don't see how you're going to get me from A to B. Come on. How many of you have been there? You're like, I... I know you can do this, God, but I don't know how you're getting me where you said you're going to get me. And so what God wants to do is he wants to re release in us a fresh infusion of faith. Amen? And he wants to release to us a new ability to hear even in those radical places. So I want to do this today at the table. Does everybody have, do we have the elements? Everyone have the elements? If you don't, I think the ushers can, can wait on you and, and get that for you. And while they do that, I want to say this to you. I know you're waiting for the communion, but just, just, just give me your attention for one minute because this is really, really important. The Lord has really been speaking to us about the incredible importance of the table of the Lord. And about a year ago, we started taking communion in our community every time we come together, every time. And it's been incredible. But I believe this. I believe that Jesus has opened up to us heavenly places. How many of you realize that's what the scriptures say? That he's taken us and seated us with him in heavenly places, yes? Now that's heavenly places, plural. So I believe there are dimensions and places in the heavens that you and I have access to. Now I realize this may be way out there for you, but... If we're here on earth, but we're also seated in heavenly places, then we're two places at once. And our physical beings, our physical bodies are here, and that's a good thing because it's what gives us authority on earth, by the way. The moment you don't have this flesh suit walking and breathing, you don't have authority here anymore. Your authority changes. Now you're on the other side. Okay? But for now, we're here, but we're also seated there. And it's a reality, it's a truth, not just of some, but it's a reality, it's a truth for anyone who is in Christ. And so what's happening is God's awakening us to how heavenly places operate and how we have access to them. And one of those places, I believe, with all my heart, is the table of the Lord. Come on, we know there's a throne room, right? We know there's that. That's talked about in the Bible. You, you could say that, that, that there's a, a, a couple places in Scripture. You could say that there's a courtroom, right? And then I really believe there's probably many other places like this, but one other place in the Spirit is the table of the Lord. One day we're all going to gather at the table of the Lord for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, the thing is, we can come to the table of the Lord now. So when we do this, we're not just doing some kind of ritualistic, put a piece of styrofoam in our mouth and drink a little bit of juice. Sorry, that's, I don't know what this, that's not. I, 
I can't call this bread. Wafer. I'll wait for you, you wait for me. That's how we do it. But let's do this. Let's get the elements ready. Can you, can you get the, the, the wafer out? Get the juice ready to go so we don't have to tinker with it. And we can just close our eyes. And we can go to the table of the Lord right now. I want to encourage you. Let's just close our eyes and we block out everything else going on around us. Father, we take these elements in our hands. And Lord, now by faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we come to your table. The table that you have set before us, even in the presence of our enemies. Lord, we come and we recognize, Lord, that you've prepared something for us today. You've prepared a word for our ears to hear. So, Jesus, we thank you today that you are the word made flesh. And we thank you that it was your flesh that became the torn veil by which we even come into this holy place. We thank you, Lamb of God, that you have made a way for us to pass into the heavenly realm. It's by the torn veil of your flesh, as the Bible says, So, Lord, we take today this bread and we do thank you that, Lord, even as you gave your body, Lord, and it was broken that we might come into that holy place, we thank you now, Lord, that you have seated us with you. Father, as we come to the table today, we thank you that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that proceeds from your mouth. Lord, we're thanking you today that at the table today, you are removing all blockages from our ears. You're removing all inabilities to hear what you're saying to us. You're removing all things that would hinder us from hearing your call into radical obedience, into radical surrender, into radical worship. Lord, we say today, where we've become complacent, where we've become comfortable, Lord, where we've become addicted to our own comfortability, Lord, we thank you today for stirring us up with your word, Lord, Lord, we're not looking for any man or woman to stir us up with their words, but Lord, we want to be provoked by your words. So Lord, as we hold this bread in our hands, I thank you, Lord, even now that you would speak a fresh word, fresh bread, fresh manna today to each heart, to each life, to stir us up to radical obedience whatever that looks like for us, Lord. Lord, open up our ears, Lord, that all boundaries would be removed. Lord, that all barriers to hearing the fullness of your word to us would be removed. Lord, that even the things that the enemy has set up to block our ears, Lord, you would expose and remove, and we would hear the very thing that he's working so hard for us to not hear because we want to hear your voice, all of what you have to say to us. Lord, open our ears to the gentle whispers of love 
that you have for us. Open our ears to the loving rebukes that you give to your children because you love us enough to discipline us that we're not illegitimate. Lord, open our ears to the directives that you have for us that we might hear and know and lay hold of that for which you laid hold of us. So, Father, we thank you today. Here at your table, we receive your living word, the bread of life. We thank you for it. Let's receive the bread together. Thank you, Lord.